0: old book. A book about witchcraft. You're listening to the Whitewood Podcast, a show about mystery schools, the occult, and witchcraft. Would you like to have a look around? Why have you come to Whitewood? Well, because I'm interested in witchcraft. I'm your host Nate. Come with us as we delve into the history, techniques, and backstories of these traditions and the people who practice them. Welcome back to the Whitewood Podcast. My name is Nate Driscoll, and this week we're going to be talking about what the occult is and kind of just trying to define some terms and get the experiences of some people who uh, have played around with these concepts themselves. So this week, joining us is Freighter Mabus. Hello. and uh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy to have you, ma'am. So, um, I've known you for many years. How many years? Ten? At least, maybe. At least 10 years, yeah. Yeah, and uh, since the very beginning, our relationship has always been founded on the occult. I think the first time that I met you, we had, you had posted about some, you were trying to get some group started up, and we had uh, come out to partake in a group ritual that you were doing. That's right. And so from really day one, you know, I knew you as an occultist, and you knew me as an occultist, which is an interesting way to get to know somebody for sure.
1: Yeah. And and until you become part of that community and a lot of the people, you know, are practicing occultists, a lot more people are than, than, you know, a lot of times.
0: I definitely agree. There's definitely a, an experience once you're kind of in that world where you become aware of like a lot more for like just your regular neighbors, like just regular people. Mm -hmm. I think there's a stereotype and a stigma of like it being this weird creep in a robe hanging out in his backyard and you know, chanting at the moon at three o'clock in the morning, but it can be, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but That's not true. always. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, but there's also a lot of really regular people that are doing it too. So um, I suppose the very first place to start is what does the occult mean to you? What is, what is the occult? What's that word?
1: Uh, when I think of the word occult, I think about it as um, an interacting with supernatural forces, depending on how you would like to describe that. Uh, Practicing of magic. I think the occult, when I think of the occult, I think of the word, you know, or or things that are hidden, kind of like from an esoteric kind of sense. Yeah. Um, But when I think of magic, uh, there's so many different, we could talk about a lot of different forms of it, but I mean, just the interacting with the invisible or unseen, or, or as Crowley would say, you know, well, We'll we'll go into the definition of magic later. But yeah, just the practicing of magic in general is what the occult means to me.
0: Yeah. Um, The definition I've been playing with for a while, and especially trying to get this podcast together, there's been a question of like, how do you define something that's such a broad umbrella term, uh, simply in order to kind of explain to people what you are talking about and what you're not talking about, right? And so for a couple of months, I've been playing around with like, what is a definition? And the one that I've come up with for myself... Is that it's the exploration of the divine in all of its forms. It could be positive, negative, doesn't have to be like right. But it's the exploration of the divine uh, via the tools and use of symbols. And so those symbols can be uh, like deities or myths or those kind of things, or it might be like more elemental or alchemical symbols when you're talking about like earth, air, fire, water, or like alchemical principles and like the process of change. It can be symbolic in those kind of ways. Or in a lot of ways it can even be like symbols that you put into the world, symbols that you create. Right. And Do that kinda of, Oh, go ahead. That kinda of comes into play. Like I, you know,
1: I started out practicing, you know, chaos magic and um I, I get that. You know, you can create your own symbols, you can create your own uh servitors, your own deities and things like that. Um, and I've had a lot of good results with that. So okay. I totally get that I agree with that as far as the occult
0: uh Term you're working with, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, that's what good. I was thinking of
1: as you were as
0: you were saying that. Um, when you you mentioned chaos magic, can you give it like a brief description of what that is? Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to look at magic, magic is
1: the art and science of causing uh, change to occur with conformity with your will. Um, you know, with that definition, which I believe came from Alistair Crowley. Um, you know. I could open a big can of worms and go down the whole hermetic uh, rabbit hole but, and philemic as well. But, you know, over the years, um, there was a, a group called the IOT, for example, Illuminatus of Thanateros. They used to do – it started That's out – Peter Carroll's
0: one, right? Peter Carroll, yeah. yep. And
1: he, he and several others started out the uh, organization. I think they're still out there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but, but basically, they if you think about it, they were basically simplifying these really overly complex – Systems of magic, uh, and and they wanted to see if they could have results if they sure. just stripped it down to the most basic things, and if if they uh, went ahead and created their own, if they'd still see results, and they did. Um, so so where I'm going with that is, you know, specifically in my life, that's where I started. I mean, th- there was a lot of books I was interested in at the time, but when I actually started practicing it, and I used to hang out with some of the IoT folks in um, in Los Angeles, um, I was really inspired by that, and 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 the end of the day, if you're getting results,
0: it works. I think that, generally speaking, uh, cast magic a lot of times online uh, in a modern time gets kind of thrown around and associated with silliness. Yeah. Um, because once you start creating your own symbols, human nature, the nature of memes and the internet and the way that everything is constantly driving itself towards comedy, um, I think that there's definitely a lot of people out there that are kind of self driving themselves down a silly route and that's okay. Um, But when you look at like Peter Carroll's original work, I would agree with you that it really was about deconstructing, you know, you think about like those great chefs that have like, Oh, I made this meal by deconstructing what spaghetti is and like made this whole different new thing by simplifying the ingredient and taking it down to its, you know, to its core. I think the same thing is true about like Peter Carroll's work with chaos magic Mm-hmm. doing that and breaking down to simplify um, a lot of his inspirations. I know in the beginning of Lieber Null, um, he lists off a series of religious perspectives that uh, he believes, uh, it, the way he words it is that they were like leading to his IOT thing. But uh, the way I've interpreted it is those are his inspirations. You know, these are the things that he's tried to boil down and, yeah distill into something simpler, you know
1: yeah and and uh yeah, I agree there is a, a lot of silliness that comes into with chaos magicians a lot of times, and I think that comes from the discordian side of it, yeah, absolutely. you know Robert anton Wilson and fluids a lot of those folks uh, there was a, a guy that I did a ritual with, it was the gilliganic right, where everybody acted out one of the characters from Gilligan's Island, sure, and we, we did a ritual uh you know i at the end of the day, when you're practicing the occult. Um, and and there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with me, but if it works for you, that's what the end, that's what the end game should be. There's a you know if we go down the the hermetic side, uh, the thelemic side, the ceremonial magic side, it's very very specific. You have to be you know a very good per. You have to be really good at memorizing. Um, you have to do it exact. Um, you know, and if you're with your peers, you know they will point out. Where you might have missed something, and and thereby, if if you take it personally, you you may feel like it's not going to work. But I, I think it's going to work no matter what. It's more about intention. So there's both sides well, of the I think, spectrum. I think you know? both
0: sides of the spectrum are very valid. I would agree with you that like ceremonial magic is definitely much more down this like formal route of like memorizing specific symbols and working with specific symbols, whereas like chaos magic is much more down the route of like inventing your own symbols or finding what works for you, you know, whether that's in just the natural world or whether it's in silliness or whether you take a symbol that is something like, a, don't know, like a cartoon or something. It doesn't really matter. You know, if it's working, it's working. Um, I I think the value of like a more traditional system that's been established for a long period of time, I think on one level, the more that humanity as a whole works with one set of symbols, the stronger the bond is with those symbols. Um, So something can definitely be said about like using something that someone else has used before you having value. But I think also um, there's a certain way that those symbols break down into a language, you know, like no one's telling you that you can't invent your own alphabet. Right. Um, You can definitely do that, but it makes it much harder to send a postcard. And so when you're working in a group, it helps to have a predefined set of symbols, just like it works to have a pre set of alphabet letters. Mm Um, But if you're doing your own thing or you just have like one friend that you're sending secret messages back and forth with, you know, that's a much more reasonable time to be inventing your own symbols. Um, So I think they're both valuable, but I think they're valuable for different reasons. One shows you the deconstructed version of like, hey, this works and here's how it works and here's the things that are influencing it working or not working. Right. Whereas the other is like, hey, here's a formalized system that is conveying a similar message that those who came before you have experienced as well
1: yeah and i'm not in in disagreement in any way um in fact i I think uh most people that end up going chaos magic actually started with the ceremonial you know hermetic kind of thing first and they already had the uh you know the knowledge and the practice down and then they deconstructed it for me it kind of came at the beginning like that's how i started you know um but But I think, uh, you know, chaos magic, I think really works best in like, uh, an individual type setting where you're working on it with, uh, you know, yourself. And I think, you know, with this alphabet that you're talking about, uh, of a language that's been, um, studied and practiced with, with others for a couple centuries now, at least, um. That uh, it works best in in a, a setting with other peers that have similar interests or, yeah. or a similar knowledge, because you are absolutely you are all speaking the same language. You all have the same intent. You're not um, trying to charge some dudes like personal sigil, uh, but that's not a bad thing. There's some good sex magic and other other ways that two two people could, or, or more could get together and charge a sigil. Uh, and that's a by the way a chaos
0: magic uh, form of. Uh, uh, well, I think it, it definitely. Casting. I think that chaos magi- uh, magicians often think that only chaos ma- uh, magicians are using sex to charge things. Um, <laughs> but I yeah. mean, it—the great rite—it's titled the great rite in Wicca. You know, is a sexual rite. Yeah. Um, in Thelema, the Gnostic Mass has sexual overtones. It certainly does. Um, it's not sexual in itself, but it has symbols of sex that are in it, and there is a um, there is a more formalized written version of it that does include sex magic. So. I would definitely say that, you know, sexual can can be a way to interact and charge uh, intention for sure. Mm-hmm. I want to circle back for a little bit because okay. one of the things that, um, that I really intend to do with this show is to make sure that we're talking to, to, to kind of almost perceive ourselves as talking to two people. Number one is the expert. He wants to hear, you know, people talk about things he hasn't maybe thought of before, but he's kind of, experience he's been doing it for 20 years and uh, i feel like we hit those notes naturally because we've been doing it for a while but i also want to make sure that we're also taking into mind the listener who has no idea what we're talking about you know it's my mormon mother and she's hearing this for the first time and (laughs) her whole perspective is like chaos magic and say what are you guys talking about so what what is magic and what does that actually look like we've talked about like okay what is the occult you know the occult is this set of symbols that you interact with for whatever purpose. My personal intention is, you know, to interact with the divine. Um, but what what uh, what does magic mean?
1: Well, I've always looked at magic to be okay. First of all, if you if you've never experienced magic before, it, in a silly kind of way, I mean, you could look at the Hollywood movies. You know what I mean, they they send out cur- usually it's a curse, right? Because a movie would be boring if they were trying to like achieve some form of enlightenment. Um, but uh you know you know uh magic to me like i said is the with the definition i gave earlier you know it's it's when you're sending out or receiving in order to change your life in some way so that you could achieve your individual will and that would be that's a whole nother rabbit hole going down that you could go down one could almost argue that even going to church i mean if you really wanted to look at it is a form of magic. You have a group of people all projecting
0: an image toward, you know, a same, this same result. I would a hundred percent agree. And that's one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we talked about in general with the show is to not separate religion in its formal patterns, you know, like, uh, Hinduism, very, very magical in nature. Yes. Uh, the Catholic mass, very magical in nature. And so, um, I definitely don't want to draw one of those like separate, like, oh, we're better cause we're doing this other thing. You know, like I would say that they are very magical in their nature, but what does that look like? Like what, what is a working, what is a, you know, like what is a spell? What is that? Uh, when we're saying we're seeing the same thing in these kind of other, you know, if we're seeing it at church and also in the magical circle, what are the things we're seeing? You know, what's the so- conformity?
1: Man, that's a, that's a deep rabbit hole to go down too. Since we're, uh, but let's go with the Catholics for example. Okay, um, you know when they have they have a very specific like if you went to like a Baptist church even well I I guess I could look at that too and believe me I'm definitely not Baptist and I have nothing against any of you if you are, uh, but uh, you know the Baptists they they work like the, they work their magic and I'll get to what magic is to me but you know it's all about charging things not necessarily like in in the. In the examples I was given earlier, but in a Baptist church, they they work on um, like
0: where they're standing and singing and, and they're, clapping they're and building they're up that up energy. Up that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like
1: the, and by the time you leave there, you're just filled with. I haven't been to a Baptist church since I was a high school kid or whatever, but you know, you're you're there. The whole point is to build up a, a yeah. certain amount of energy. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you do that, like from uh, like the Catholic church, it's very. Um, Scripted. It's yeah, very specific. Right. Every move that the uh, the pope or the or the priest makes is very um, calculated, and they've been doing it for hundreds of years. And when you do a ritual like in a Catholic church or, or a or service, or I guess they would call it a mass or something like that, you're doing the same thing that they may have done years and years ago. So there's uh, there's a similar buildup of energy just because of the the power. And I think that goes back to what you were talking about uh, when you were talking about everyone speaking a similar language. Yeah. You're actually passing down a tradition from grandfather down to child. Absolutely. So um, there's kind of like a uh, – what would the word be? Like a, a resonance that, that continues through this repetitive process.
0: I think there's a lot to be said about how – um, like we were talking about different forms of magic already. We already mentioned like the difference between like ceremonial magic being very scripted and very, yep. you know, memorization of specific symbols versus like chaos magic being kind of more deconstructing it to its, you know, to its simpler form. And I think that it's funny that we brought up Baptists and Catholics <laughs> next because, you know, Baptists are doing this much more like, you know, lots of clapping. We're using sound we're using singing. We're getting everybody together and excited in one room. Whereas like the Catholic mass is much more on that ceremonial. Mm -hmm. We're going to use this censer in order to take incense around and, you know, put a smell throughout the whole cathedral. And then we're going to, you know, have a Eucharist, which is like a, like a sacrament. Um, So there's, there's elements that we would find normally within both ceremonial magic and within like the more chaotic side or just the more deconstructed side that is very much present in just everyday religion. I would say that, my definition is supposed to include them. Like there's a reason why I said that it's, you know, interaction with the divine through symbolism, because I include their symbolism as a valid form of communicating with the divine. Right. Um, And I think that a lot of it kind of breaks down to some of our internal processes and some of like, you know, our own connection to things. So you might personally find yourself feeling very, very connected at a Baptist church, whereas I might go and not feel quite as connected to it. And maybe the thing that flips that light switch on for me is more the Catholic Mass, or maybe the occult as another option.
1: Yeah, or or like uh, let's say uh, a, a Gnostic Mass. Absolutely, yeah, it's a perfect <laughs> example. Uh, so, so to, to circle back to the to, to the magic thing, you know, the goal of magic is to utilize tools that you wouldn't use, you know, uh, necessarily in everyday life. To mm-hmm. achieve this will. And if it is your will to ascend or descend to a certain place, magic is a great tool for that. And so, you know, it can be very spiritual in nature or, uh, you know, it generally it is to some degree, but um, it can be through repetition. It can be through um You know, experimenting with with certain psychedelics and and mixing in certain types of practices. It can be like you were talking about the tantrics, I believe, or, or, you know, um, you know, through physical contact with other people to build up energy. Um, It can be really focused and meditative, you know, like forms of yoga where you clear your mind and you focus on an on, on a desired goal. I mean. It's a mixing pot, right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: And that's one of the things that I've noticed over the years is like the perspective from the outside is that it's like, oh, you know, witchcraft and the occult is basically dancing around a campfire and praying to the devil. Like that seems to be the Hollywoodization of it. And the reality that I often find is that it's this, this strange mixing pot where some people have gone about all the religions they had access to, found the things that, are most conductive to changing their psychology, their energy, their spirituality, like the powerful tools, putting them all into one single mixing pot and being like, Hey, check out how powerful these things are. Use them to your own will, to whatever your goal is. And so Mm -hmm. for some people that might be, Hey, I'm going to meditate on, I don't know, the element of air in order to bring in that kind of a concept into my life and maybe change my perspective a little bit, make my life a little bit more down that road or Maybe that, you know, is like a formalized ritual of like, you know, using certain lights and smells and colors in order to influence your psychology. But I think that yeah. it comes more from that kind of a perspective a lot of times where people have uh, found tools in other religions that are that are powerful and potent, you know? I agree. Um,
1: It's funny because I think that, you know, what works for one person isn't going to work for the other, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's uh, it's interesting you know if if, if you and i again i'm not going to claim to be an expert i just know how to how how and what works for me but you know um i recommend looking at a lot of different things you know look at look at the wiccans you know um check out paganism in general look at shamanism you know there's a lot of different topics uh if you're on this show you probably i would ex- assume most likely have a general idea about some of these things but um, you'll find what works best for you and what speaks to you. Um, you know, I was really resistant to the hermetic side of things for years. until right. Until I started getting involved with uh, organizations that were very ritual, scripted, focused. And, and, and to me, that's the ultimate way to do a group ritual when you have other people that are all on the same page doing the uh, magic um, not really sure where I'm going with that, but
0: it no, just, I think it it's, it's really important. because like for example, okay, so you have like a symbol, right? It doesn't matter what the symbol is, for the sake of you know ritual, we're we're utilizing that symbol in order to get some effect out of it, right? And if I have made a symbolic connection with like, let's say it's a specific type of bird. Let's say it's a dove, right? If I've made the connection in my mind that the dove is a symbol of peace and a symbol of unity, and you've made the connection in your mind that a dove is a symbol of hunting and, you know, consuming meat at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're a very different psychological effect. And when you bring a lot of people together and you're trying to bring everyone onto the same level using magic, uh, it can be kind of complicated in order to make that happen. But if everybody comes together and, we already have a predefined set of symbols that, you know, we utilize for these kind of purposes. When someone pulls the dove out of the box, everyone's mind goes, dove, symbol of these five things, bam, 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 bam. And it, everyone's already on one level. So I think there's value to that. And I agree. Um, it's funny. Okay.
1: Um, let's look at the Masons just briefly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of on the level, because you were talking about that. I mean, there's certain symbols that that Masonry uses. Um that, spe- that have specific meaning. And those meetings go back, you know,
0: hundreds and hundreds of years. Potentially thousands. Exactly. Well, I yeah. mean, very potentially well, thousands. Well, yeah, I mean, if
1: you look at the operative masons before the speculative right. masons, going all the way back to Egypt and the Zoroastrians,
0: and, you know, um, you know, the old... Thousands of years before Jesus, and that's not even just a thing that's being passed down in masonry. I mean, you have traditions that go back into ancient times, yeah. uh, That you know we have archaeological evidence for that are using similar symbols that are being used today. Like it's kind of a torch that's being passed in a lot of ways from one culture to the next, from one mystery school to the next. I would I would say thousands of years back. Some of these symbols, not all of them, of course. Some of them are new, and it's good because there's new concepts, there's new things to be working with. You know. But, the, but you know, um, the, the cool
1: thing about symbols, though, is that there's more than one meaning. So Absolutely. So you'll see things, and this goes back into the esoteric side of it, and maybe this might make your listeners' eyes glaze over. But sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes a meaning that's in plain sight has a, a, a totally different meaning, you know. Um, and that's why if you're really into a certain uh, form of magic or you start experimenting with it, you know, look at what you're doing. Look at the colors. Look at the... the, the The symbols, like if you're carving pentagrams into the air, you know, their placement, if it's fire, air, water, you know, do some digging and and look into the symbols. That's at a high level view, but there's even more, there's so much more that
0: that you can utilize. And, uh, again, this is from an advanced user. No, I would agree (laughs) with you. And I would say that when you're, when you're taking something that's been traditionally passed down, um, especially like rituals and rites that have been around for a long period of time, um there are very rarely single movements in the entire thing that are not scripted that way for a purpose. Right. So um, while you can definitely modify things to your own liking, you know, and I think you can get effects from that. uh, Often I would suggest paying attention when you don't understand why something's done. If you think like, Oh man, this is stupid. I would do it this totally other way. Stop. Take a second. Look at what you're doing try to figure out what the symbol is maybe you missed one you know right. so like maybe the pentagram was a symbol of something and there was a reason why we did it that way you know exactly i think there's a and lot also
1: i there. also i think it's best to uh become an expert at it before you modify
0: it so i agree
1: i have no problem i've written many different banishing rituals and and, and things like that i've uh i've repurposed uh other types of ceremonial magic simplified it or or made it more complex but I never really did that. Well, I did it definitely in the old Chaos Magic days. I'm sorry, I keep bringing that up, but that is no, really like this, that was the seed that that got me started in all this. I month. mean, I
0: frequently bring up Thelema, even though this is like it's yeah. not a Thelemic podcast. It's not a Chaos Pad. It's yeah. it's an occult in general podcast, which we
1: both happen to have an yeah, interest in. Thalema, but I'm totally right? gonna like I'm gonna
0: talk about what I know. You yeah, know? yeah, bring it up. Um,
1: but yeah, you should try and uh, at, at this stage of my development, I I like to know that I have n- tried and done something multiple times where I, I'm not an expert, maybe next to Regardi or something like yeah. that. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. I, yeah. but I, I tried to do the best that I can for myself. Um, and, and with that said, once I, once I've looked at that, like for example, example, if you guys look up a uh, lesser banishing ritual, of the pentagram, I think I brought it up a minute. Fantastic
0: ago. example of a very old, something ceremonial. to dive into. Everything is like very specific and like right. everything we were just talking about. Perfect example.
1: And you get a couple of philomites in the room at the same time, and they'll point out, <laughs> yeah. you know, your foot was in the wrong position and things like that. But but, but where I'm going with that is uh, that's healthy. That's healthy uh, to tune your work up a little bit. But then, you know, I, I'm also of the school of thought that once you've um, you know mastered something, and I don't again, I'm not talking about grades or anything like that. I'm talking about you know your skill, um, your you, you put the effort in. It's not like you did it one night. You yeah, know, I'm talking about like you know when I was in the AA, I was doing I, I did, you know those those rituals daily, every yeah. day, yeah, yeah, for a year. So, you know, I'm just trying to I don't know I, I I try not to tell people what to do, but what I am trying to say is, uh, and maybe this is going again too deep. I, I'm sorry I do that a lot, but uh, you know, learn it like learn how to make the learn how to make the dish, using the menu correctly.
0: then then start spicing it up you know like change it yeah yeah, totally because you'll find yourself like okay uh i want to make this menu from scratch like i want like we're making some kind of dish i want to do it from scratch let's assume that it's baking because it's a little bit more specific and weird sometimes and like maybe you do kind of the first couple times need to measure out every single cup that you're throwing in there and have an idea of the ratios for these different ingredients but then you know after maybe doing that for a little while, you might find like, you know, it works a lot better. If I add two pinches of salt, that turns out yeah. pretty good. And I'm going to start doing that from now on. But then when you're reiterating that to others, I would say it's very important for us to protect our history and to protect, you know, to not just be like, hey, I've discovered the best way to do it. Do it my way now. But instead to say, hey, historically, we usually teach it like this. And this is the group that wrote these. And this is the group that practiced these. And, and this is how they did it. I have found that this other way also works, and it works really well for me. You might try it that way, you know, Mm -hmm. and to present that information that way, because then we protect what I think is really important, which is our history. You know, it's kind of this secret tradition, this like religion under the surface of all the things that are going on in the world that, you know, people haven't realized has has been there for probably the whole time um, in one form or another, but we're we destroy our own history when we like say things like, Oh, I've discovered a blind in this one ritual and it's, you know, really supposed to be done this way because I think it should be done that way by all means in your personal practice, do it that way. The way that works for you, do it, but don't destroy our history while you're doing it. You know, to say that, you know, historically they were doing it wrong. Yeah, exactly. Now we've used the word ritual a lot. Yeah. What does that mean? Ritual, Uh, okay. So,
1: ritual to me is um, there's a lot of different meanings for it. It depends on um, what you're trying to do. But you know, it's it's basically if we go back to the to the menu or not the menu, but the recipe kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's a when when you're doing a ritual, an occult ritual, a lot of times, even if you went, you know, back to the Gardnerian witchcraft or Wicca. you know, shamanism, there's some rituals that, that they have as well. What, are, what I'm trying to get at is that it has a beginning. It has a desired result. There's a middle and an ending. And, um, so a ritual would be something, it could be seen as something that you do regularly, you know, like if you have a daily ritual that you do, I mean, it could mean that, but it's a good
0: idea to kind of deconstruct a little bit and look at just like the word ritual, right? Like my daily ritual might be waking up, brushing my teeth, taking a shower in that order, then setting myself with a cup of coffee or whatever, you know, like whatever that is. Um, it's a formalized, you know, like there's there's some things that I do, you know, in order to get this desired result of setting my day off and getting ready for the day um when we're talking about it in a like a magical sense i would say that we're talking much more about like okay we would like open up with these specific words and maybe we're you know dressed in a specific way maybe not maybe it's just simple maybe it's just we light a candle we calm ourselves and we just stare at it for a couple of minutes that might be the entire ritual on like the flip side the extremely advanced side I might be like holding one image in my mind and then trying to draw a shape with it. Right. And at this point, and then taking two steps to the right and doing the same thing with a completely different set of symbols and trying to control every single action that's happening in my psyche while I'm going through a 10 minute recitation of, you know, some set of poetry or, or whatever the thing is, you know? So I think it comes in a lot of forms. Would you agree that yes, you know, a ritual can be that simple and can be that kind I, I be-
1: definitely believe it could be that simple. I mean, not everybody's going to be doing ceremonial magic every single day, but it's good to get in the practice of having a daily ritual um, of some sort, which brings to mind, like, uh, Libra Resh, you know, mm-hmm. that's often used by the, you know, AA and uh, Thelem- Thelemites in general. I've known uh, Wiccans that like to do it as well. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a ritual that's a you know, f- four times a day You know, I've seen in books practice. that are
0: not even remotely Thelemic. Right. Where somebody is actually kind of has a chip on their shoulder about Aleister Crowley and is like... <laughs> oh, yeah, here's some rituals that you might consider. And Libra Resh is in there. And I'm like, well, maybe take the chip off your shoulder, (laughs) bud, uh, because we know who wrote that, you know. But, yeah, no, that's a perfect example. And that's like a daily ritual that's done, uh, you know, just for the layman. It's a daily ritual that's done uh, as a solar adoration. It happens. uh, Thelemites will do it. And, of course, some other people, whoever chooses to, uh, will do it about four times a day. Once when the sun's rising, once when it's at its highest point once when it's setting and once when it's at the midnight hour, when it's yeah. the farthest it'll ever be from daylight. But we, we you could look
1: at that because that is a practice that's recommended, um, you know, a, as you are mentored through certain groups and things like that. I mean, you know, you could use that as a recipe for your own adorations, for Absolutely. whatever it is, you know. Absolutely. I think that would be a good one where you don't have to be an expert at it. Um, if it doesn't speak to you with the whole, you know, the barg
0: and, and you know, the... Uh, well, let's explain thing. what that is a little bit okay, before great. we get too in-depth to it. Right, so I, yeah. know there's, I know there's listeners that know exactly what we're talking about. And then there's somebody that doesn't. And so uh, basically what would happen is at one of those four points in the day, you would stand towards a traditional direction depending on which point of the day it is. So let's say first thing in the morning, I would stand towards the east. I would stand my body in a specific posture and I would say, Hail unto thee who art raw in thy rising, even unto thee who art raw in thy strength who travelest over the heavens in thy bark, the morning hour of the sun. To Hudi standeth in thy splendor, thy prow, and Rahor abideth at thy helm. Hail unto thee from the abodes of the night. So it's uh, a, a kind of a poem. Uh, and basically what you're doing is you're, you know, aligning your day with that specific energy or that quadrant of the earth and uh, your experience with those types of energies, right? And the individuals that do this, myself included, will do it uh, regularly. Uh, most definitely I find myself doing it on days where I have like something going on, like something where I just feel like I need that extra kick. I need that extra boost. And so I want to be in my most empowered and clean self. Um, I'll do it on those days for sure. And then I try to do it every day and the reality is I'm a human being. And sometimes it's hard to keep up a good habit for a long period of time, man. I usually throw it in the mix when I have a really stressful day heading up.
1: Yeah. Like if I'm, uh, I travel a lot with work and I used to before COVID, but, um, it's ramping up again. But what I like to do is, you know, if I'm in an environment like that, it keeps me grounded. It keeps me focused. It gives me something to look forward to. Yeah. And, and, and it may not seem like a big deal when you do it the first couple of times, but over, over time it does, uh, it provides something to look forward to. Like, man, if I could just get through this next hour, I can step outside, I can look at the sun I can look at the, this this thing that's just out there that uh you know that is going to be back tomorrow whether you know it's going to yeah. circle back um I don't know how to explain it but there is there, there's definitely something to it and there's a reason why I practice the occult because you know um it's not I never found in religion the things that that uh my peers and friends a lot of time and family got out of it i had to find my own way and and i i found that my spiritual uh alchemical process came through working these different systems that work for me
0: well and i would so. say that like uh there are definitely individuals out there that are getting a lot out of prayer yeah and contemplation of scripture and i would say that is in a certain way a ritual yes you know and especially if you're going to a church and they're like oh hey you know, we're gonna first do this, and then we're going to bring on this speaker, and then we're going to say these words, and then you know, and if your prayer is a little formalized, and you're like, okay, I'm going to sit in this particular body posture, and I'm going to um, hold whatever image in my mind, and then I'm going to say these words, and then at the end, I'm going to say Amen. You know, like at the end of every prayer, I say that. Yeah, and that. then
1: at the end of all the energy that's built up, we're gonna put a Eucharist in your mouth. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're gonna you're gonna absolutely take God, you're gonna take
0: the macrocosm and bring it into the microcosm absolutely so all of those kind of things can be rituals too you know and they're valid you know i but there's something true that you said that really rung with me where i wasn't getting some of that connection out of a church setting and i find now that i am getting a lot of that connection and in my opinion a much stronger connection for myself uh, from doing a cult practice and doing it regularly not just to uh not just when i need to stack the deck but just throughout my life you know wake up in the morning do lesser ritual the pentagram wake up in the morning do resh you know those kind of things on a regular basis they seem to help ground me and make me have a more spiritually toned day yeah you know
1: um it makes sense why why for some of us practicing a cult works and it's not that it's uh it actually predates Christianity. It predates a lot of these religions that are out there where the empire came in and, and ripped a, ripped down all the, the shrines and, and things like that of the practicing, you know, religions mm-hmm. to replace it with this new, improved, uh, you know, uh,
0: immaculate, conceived person. <laughs> yeah. And again, absolutely.
1: I'm not trying to... Uh,
0: disrespect anybody well just we, historically we know that what, there have been several periods of time there have been an empire which was more powerful than the other empire right and what I'm trying it to say wiped is wiped out their religious beliefs yeah they,
1: they would practice it on a daily sure they would just connect with nature because that's what they were surrounded by Absolutely. they weren't surrounded by TVs and and, you know, cell phones and cars and
0: things like that. They Well, like the Catholic Church wiped out several religions, yeah. right? And they, they committed an entire yeah. genocide against the Cathars, right? And if you go to certain countries, um, they still got the, the pagans. The Romans did it. The yeah. Romans wiped out many of the small local traditions. So, I mean, like throughout history, it's happened several times where a powerful empire has inflicted its religion on others. But I would argue that even their religions are still just sets of symbols that they use to interact with the divine and to, you know, yeah, empower themselves. Sure. And so I would argue that even the worship, of, I mean, uh, I doubt that the two people sitting here are going to deny that the worship of Jupiter is a cult in nature, you know, <laughs> or that, the you know, yeah. I, I would extend it also into the worship of Christ, you know, like there's sure. there's definitely some occult potential there.
1: Well, even if you look at it from, which I prefer to look, I, I'm really into at least on a high level view, like the Gnostic view of, of Christ, mm-hmm. Um, Being what? Explain what you mean. So the the concept that God is in you, you know, Mm -hmm. when He's saying, you know, take and eat this, you know, this is my body given unto you and many. So what what He's trying to allude to from a Gnostic point of of view is that, you know, you are in a you are made of God. Therefore, you are God. So you're the like I was saying earlier, the macrocosm microcosm. Uh, So I I I appreciate the. uh, and I don't know if this is going totally to the left of what we were just talking about, but no, good. the concept of uh, you, know, you are God, or if we looked at uh, Alistair Crowley, where he says, every man and woman is a star. Um, you know, he's talking about how the universe is made up of universe stuff. And we, yeah, there's are...
0: no, there's no real separation between your arm and the air around it. Right. You know, it's just atoms stacked up next to atoms. I think that there is definitely something true about how our own psyche creates this concept of self in order to like, have an identity because it's, right. it's biologically advantageous to mm-hmm. have a, a self right to have a concept of that but at the end of the day I mean there's individuals who have strokes that that part of their brain turns off and they say that they became one with the universe and all that happened was like the part of your brain that identifies me turned off you know Yeah. there's uh, people who have that through religious experience through psychedelics through just all sorts of experiences. And at the end of the day, from, from a very physical level, you are the universe made up of universe stuff. You're experiencing yourself in a lot of ways. you know. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I think it definitely goes down some of the rabbit hole that I find if I go too far down the rabbit hole, I have trouble just going about my daily life. And I think that one of the things for me is I want to be empowered in my life one of the ways to do that is to know how to break down the self. If I were so inclined to Mm -hmm. uh, be like overwhelmed by my own stresses, to be able to be like, look, dude, you are just the universe experiencing itself. It's okay. But then there's also something to be said about the opposite being a powerful tool as well, to be able to say, you know, I am exerting my will over the universe. I am an individual and to self identify with my own will is also potent and powerful. Um, I would say that the occult in general is just a set of tools and symbols that allow you to pick what which perspective you're going to be in for that particular moment and uh psychologically empower oneself in order to overcome whatever obstacle is in your way. You know, like your life is gonna have ups and downs. How are you going to approach dealing with it? Um one way that I've heard it described is its spicy psychology. It's like <laughs> yeah. I like it, right? Yeah. It's like, um, you know, it's spooky, sure, you know, but like uh, in a, a lot of ways, it's, it's this self-help system of like, how, what are these ideologies that are going to enable you to, to succeed, you know, however you're defining success, you know?
1: Yeah. So when I think of, uh, I mean, there's, there's two paths. There, well, maybe not. There's multiple paths, but you know, if you were to look at like the, the books that are out there these days, it's yeah. left-hand path, right-hand path. So sure. you got, Yep. And maybe this is, I'm not going to go too deep down this rabbit hole but you know from the left-hand path perspective you know um it's you're trying to break away and create this self right specifically you know create the god form within yourself there's there's writers out there and I could throw some names out but you know um uh you know the isolate consciousness you know you're separate from the collective universe um and self deification where you're, you know, you're focused on defining yourself separate from from everyone else.
0: And there's something valuable and empowering about that, right? There certainly
1: is, especially these yeah. days when when it just seems like, you know, we're almost in an Orwellian time right now where everybody right. just wants to... Everybody don't wants challenge to the opinion of the masses. Both the left and right, <laughs> are, are, are both extremes. Yeah. There's nothing but like, you know, right. Pink Floyd the wall. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but anyways, I, I don't want to get into the politics right yeah. now, but... Uh, but then there's the right hand path, which which would be like you know, like the Christianities and the, uh, you know, all the all the devotional religions, where you are trying to, you know, to become connected to that higher source, and 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 then um, you know blend in with this higher source, exactly, become one with all of the collective, and so,
0: obviously that also has importance and value. It certainly does.
1: Right? Uh, I have always leaned a little to the left myself because, uh, you know, it just doesn't work for me that I just, I don't want to be part of this, uh, this, this collective embodiment of everything. Whereas I could be doing, oh, sorry about that. You're I good. don't know if you're going to hear that, but, uh, I could be working with another person that has that. That That's the beauty of like, uh, you know, working with other people. You can, if you have a specific desired result, all those,
0: whatever beliefs you have can be put aside while you do the ritual. Absolutely. Um, so, well, and it comes back to just a general respect of those around you, you know, like I find myself, I, I will go heavily towards the left-hand path and then heavily towards the right-hand path. And I kind of vibrate back and forth over the case of a couple of years. Right. And so there will be times when me and you are doing some kind of a ritual together and I'm heavily on the light right-hand path side of it. Right. And you're heavily on the left-hand path side of it. And that's okay because there's a mutual respect. There's an intention that brings us and unites us together that, um. I don't know. I, I I think that on some level, the occult kind of teaches this concept of like, it, it subconsciously teaches this concept of acceptance of people who are different from you. Because even though I might be going heavily into yoga this week and you might be heavily going into, I don't know, whatever, right? We We'll find ourselves finding similar values in those things and we can come together and just have kind of a mutual respect about it, you know? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, that, that comes to mind, like, you know, why would anybody
1: even want, you know, why would anybody even want to practice a cult? And that's a question I, I can't answer for other people, but that does come to mind when we're talking about this. Like, what, yeah. what would make somebody want to? Well, what? Do, why do you do it? Well, I, w- when I first got into it, it was mostly because I was in a really dark place and I wanted to connect with something, anything okay. other than that. Cause I was I was in a dark Do you rock mean band. dark like
0: symbol, symbolically dark or so, do you mean dark like emotionally? Like so I've always like had a...
1: like a symbolically dark and you know leaning kind sure. of I don't know why my brain's That's why wild, I ask, like that you know, yeah. yeah. But but yeah, what I meant by that really was more just like a really challenging time in my life. I was right. I was barely making any money. I was, you know, just trying to get through each day with something to look forward to. Sure and what drove me into it was just i started going to the local occult stores and meeting really interesting artistic people people right. that just blew my mind you know i came from a methodist background you know i was like pre- president of the methodist youth fellowship you know at the t- it, you know and it was like for me it was like man i can just totally break away from all of that cuz it was like it was like luggage on my my thoughts all the time always yeah. always afraid that i was going to you know and and again this is going down the philosophy hole here but you know that I was always afraid that I was going to be you know sinning or go to hell and stuff like that and then one day I'm like fuck it I don't care if I go to hell I don't believe there is a hell and you know what I never did and I started to I guess in a punk rock kind of way yeah, yeah. going down like looking at anything including satanism just looking at anything I could get my arms around that would would help deprogram me from all of these things
0: well for me it was similar so i was feeling extremely despondent and lonely and alone and depressed um i was spending time in my mother's church and i was not accepted as a member of the group i don't know if i just looked different or if i talked different or what the issue was but the other kids and even some of the people who were supposed to be the adults in the room were not treating me the way that the others were being treated and so i didn't feel like i was a member of the group right And I started to enter a really dark phase in my life. And I said, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go look at whatever else exists. This is obviously not the right place for me. I'm going to go look at something else. And when I was that young, I didn't understand anything about the other systems other than what I was warned against. So there was only, in my mind, my parents' religion and whatever the fuck they were telling us to stay away from. And so naturally, if this isn't working, you go to the other thing. And over the years, I found that, like, oh, no, this is, like, a meaningful set of symbols that has empowered my life in a million different ways, and I want to stay here. And it's become this obsession, this fascination with it all, you know? But, like, at the end of the day, there had to be this, like, kind of acceptance of, like, fuck it, I'm doing witchcraft. Right. You know? (laughs) You know, and and that that sounds weird when you say it out loud.
1: It's not something I uh, talk about necessarily with the people I work with. Um, Yeah. You know, but... But the people that are in my circle, I've got you know quite a few, Th- those are people that accept me as I am, and I accept them as they are. And uh, it's just that I, uh, I've just found that, that practicing magic and, and exploring the occult is what makes me happy. And uh, I really don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. I I've never really tried to fit into that box. Um, since, you know, once I discovered the the path and the path has been very winding for me, but, um, I, I I would hope that if, if anybody's listening to this, that, you know, like you were telling me before we did the show that you're hopeful, you know, even if one person gets something out of it, I I think, you know, if you're listening to this, just, you know, um, you're, you're here because you want, you know, the subject matters of interest and, you know,
0: find out. If it's right for you, you can always go back and uh... if nothing else. You learn it from an academic standpoint. You learned like, yeah. Oh, hey, there's this group of people that live in the United States or live in my area. It doesn't have to be in the United States. And you could you know? write the
1: next movie script that kicks ass. Totally. You know, like <laughs> if it's
0: just an academic interest, there's nothing wrong with that. But like sure. you might find value here. You might find something that, you know, we found. I like to kind of relate it to it's like God wearing a Halloween mask. Like it is something positive and powerful and, and intense and will spiritually drastically change your life. But it's spooky, you know? It can like, be. I, I don't know. I'm and okay it, it, with that. It can be
1: intentionally spooky, but it can also be spooky because uh let's say you have a, a desired result and it happens. And it never happened before. That That's the kind of thing that will sell you on the concept yeah. of practicing magic. And, and I'm not just saying get what would I consider, you know, get... Uh, you know, material result kind of magic, more, more, even spiritual. Well,
0: you'll, you'll get what you're like if you're doing it and you're like taking it really seriously and you're putting time into it and you're saying, like, it doesn't have to happen in one ritual. I can spend four years every morning doing the same fucking ritual and write. And if you're, doing it, it'll happen, yeah, right? It will. So be really fucking careful what your what your goal is yeah, what and start to like analyze, like what do I really want in my life? What's really, you know, is it really just that you want a million dollars, bud? Or do you want like something more meaningful? Correct. You know? So it's, it's interesting too. There's a lot of debate about what your true will
1: is. Yeah. Some people um, would look at Crowley, for example, since we brought him up, okay. you know, and say that what he meant with a lot of his texts was, you know, that everything that you think you want and is your will is not your will. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, I'm one that has the belief that it, you already know what your will is. It, it may need some fine-tuning, but, it, you know, you don't, your life doesn't have to turn upside down or backwards for you to find that will. Because like, cause there's the argument that, you know, it's your ego or this uh, preconceived notion of what you are that is driving this magic. But in the end you might find that it's exactly the opposite. And that could be the case. And you'll
0: find that like your preconceived concept of your ego will often be like suicidal in a way where it will not, not that you would hurt yourself, but that your ego will disseminate itself. It'll destroy itself. And it'll say like, Hey, you know, I want to have a better understanding of myself, my intentions, my own internal systems, you know? And so you'll find yourself breaking yourself down in a way, you Mm -hmm. know? So that, that like childish ego will make way for a more mature ego that has a little more depth because on some level it is what you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so
1: I think it's a little bit of a mix of both, right? There's a debate. You'll, you'll find it if you go on Twitter out there, there's like back and forth, you know, who owns the, the true answer to will. There's a, there's some, really popular Thelemic writers that are just all over people's shit. It's funny because these are the same people that they claim to, you know, do what that will, but then they'll go out and tell you, you do what that will, but not like that and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't want to, well, and it's not my place. Well, and that's
0: kind of, and and we do an entire episode later. Um, So these are not being released in the right order, of course, because we wanted to touch on this topic very early on. Um, But there's a later episode that goes a little bit more into will. And like the specifics of that. And I think it's really important that like I don't define your will. I don't know what it is. And I think you would probably agree. It's not my business to tell, you know, Freyder Mabus right. what his fucking will is. It's exactly. his business to figure that out. And vice versa. That's a you know, it's a rod that gets extended both ways. And uh I I strongly encourage that if somebody's gonna get interested in these kind of ideas and they're gonna start to actually practice it, because it's one thing to read it in a book, it's another to do it daily and to, you know, find yeah. it changing your life. Um just be open to the idea that I, you know, the man on the radio doesn't get to define you. It doesn't get to define what you are gonna get out of this. You do, right? It's, it's to, the the point is to empower you to do your will, yeah. not for you to do my will through. So you. if you
1: want to get, if you want to, you know, uh, focus on someone else's will, you've got plenty of uh, you know religions out there that are already. Prepack is for you that you can. Well, dive this brings into. up a really good,
0: a really good talking point. I think um, morality within the occult world. You know, because we have mentioned sex and we have mentioned psychedelics. Both of those things are things that traditionally, in some of the surface level religions, would be considered to be wrong. What What is morality? What does it look like in the occult world? what What would you consider to be wrong? Uh, well, I think every every individual has to come up with that
1: themselves. Um, I agree. That's that's a dangerous question to ask these days. Um, I really think that. I mean, specific to me, uh, if we're going to talk about morals, I would say anything that that would defile a child or an innocent that you know is young. Sure. definitely yeah, is yeah. crossing a line that I, I would, would say, never
0: cross. I would say like anything that um, is a violation of some other person's will. So whether they're stronger than me, bigger than me, older than me, doesn't matter. I probably don't have the right to just like go punch you in the face. Cause you know, that's, that's me inflicting my will upon your face. It's not my face to inflict my will upon, you know? Um, I would definitely agree that, you know, children, the innocent, you know, yeah. be left out of just about everything. But I would, I would argue that like the ultimate morality in the occult world is like, there's nothing wrong with you using this for your own stuff. Right. When you start, Trying to like curse the neighbor because he didn't say something nice to you, then we're probably crossing an ethical line, but I think we all already know that there's a reason why that whole idea feels dark and wrong yeah. right is because like you do have like a moral compass on some level, yeah you have to yeah, yeah. definitely but uh I mean you could say that to the Satanist
1: but you have the right to punch someone in the face, but they also have the right to punch you back nine you back. ninefold <laughs> yeah. when they get you on the ground
0: yeah uh but well yeah. yeah i i wouldn't say that all violence is uh against the rules but but with that you so have that, to be able to I, I defend you. yourself too, i know where you're you going know. with that i mean yeah. truthfully
1: i mean what you know we we don't want to inter we don't want to interfere with other stars orbits you know yeah but, that's a good you, way to you word know it. if you're if you're going to be you know if you, there are people i've Worked with in the in in the magical community that that's all they do is they they just want to disrupt other other people's sure. you know thing and that's just to me I, I find that as like a, a really diseased mind or a spirit um, to want to do that kind of thing maybe it's kind of sexy at first but yeah you know because maybe they're listening to a lot of black metal or which I like by the way I really love Behemoth and other bands but um you know uh. Morality is, like, I, like, as I go back to every man and every woman is a star, everyone must define their own morality. And I feel like the Internet nowadays, you know, you have to align with, with this group's, you know, morality or, you know, or your – what's the word I could use without sounding political? <laughs> uh, or you're just a bad person. Sure. And so yeah. – you're the I, enemy if you I miss you, I miss the yeah. way it was just even 10 years ago when everybody was really like free thinking free spirits they weren't focused on hey did you hang out with this writer this one time at this one party 7 years ago and oh my god he was a racist you know cuz he was into uh you know he was into uh w- Wotanism or whatever, you know what sure. I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, Dude, that goes back before the Nazis. You know, it, it, some, if somebody's focused on that stuff, just because you cross them in a path or there's a picture of them, you with them, doesn't mean that you're that person. You know, I'm just getting burnt out on that on the internet. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, there's there's, and, there's ten cameras to every human being living in in my country, right? Yeah. There's literally ten cameras, and that statistic is like five years old. I'm sure by now there's actually more because we're all carrying smartphones, right? Um, so there's going to be pictures that exist throughout the world of me in all sorts of situations, whether I like it or not. And I don't like it personally. I like to be a little more private. The chances that I have not walked past somebody who is morally reprehensible at some point in my life are pretty fucking low. Yeah. And there's a pretty high chance that there's a picture somewhere of me next to that person. Well, I've been around, Does that mean around a that lot I, of those people. Does mean that was like, them did I act in a morally reprehensible way? Probably not. Yeah. Um. Sure, there are definitely certain people who do. But, but let's say you go to you an know. occult store, for example. And, okay. And I yeah. don't want to go all over the place
1: on this, but I do want to touch on it because since we are talking about morality, yeah. You know, when we go to these, uh, like, cause we'll go like uh, to a local occult store. They're having like, let's say, Beltine, you know, festival. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. You're around a lot of people, and you spark up a conversation with somebody. And then somebody says, ooh, I saw you with so-and-so. They were a bad person. Look at this it picture 10 years insane. ago. It First of all, they, they may not even be the same person they were 10, sorry, 10
0: years ago. They may not even be the same person they were 10 years ago. Um, and, Just before we recorded this, Neil Patrick Harris, he's an actor, he apologized for a cake that he made at his party 11 years ago. Now, it was, it was an insensitive cake. It was a cake of somebody who had just recently passed away. And it was like a cake saying like, oh, it was a Halloween party. So like, oh, spooky, yeah. it's her dead body. Okay, I can understand that it's a little, you know, yeah. it was a little taboo of a cake. But at the end of the day, apologizing for a fucking cake that I had at a party mm. 11 years ago is a crazy idea. It, it's, it's, the, a, <laughs> it's the current way.
1: I think it's because, you know, the, the, we're, we're awakening. And this is an interesting po- point for okay. a cult. We're awakening in a time where nothing is forgotten
0: yeah it's, everything it, yeah. including
1: this this is going to be floating out there on <laughs> that's the internet, exactly like 50 one... years after i'm dead even yeah, that's if why i want in... to make it
0: <laughs> um it's no going back now man <laughs> my point is
1: yeah i've already come this far i might as well keep pedaling um but what, <laughs> what i'm saying is that uh i think it's it sucks because i really some of my fondest and most deepest most spiritual um experiences that i had practicing magic was pre-internet that's interesting, now, I mean, I yeah. still have these things as I get older, I still go have things but but that that awe, that awe of just like wonderment, you know, I had to get a book at the store, I had to read it, you know I couldn't you know just what google whole, it you know what I'll seconds. honestly
0: say, all the best material, especially in the occult, is in books, physical books. it really is yeah, yeah, you might have to track some of them down, they might be out of print, they might be very expensive because they're out of print. They might be easily available in a PDF, sure, it exists. But I'm telling you, all of the best materials in books.
1: Yeah, and if you're using Twitter or, like, uh, you know, one-paragraph posts to direct your occult path, then you're probably following the wrong people. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay, so, so— So where are we
1: going with this? I apologize if I no, got us you're off good. track.
0: I w- have written down a question that I think is very funny, but also it kind of touches on something that really happens. Why the fuck does everybody in the occult wear black? Me and you are both wearing black t-shirts right now. And nobody, we didn't call each other. We weren't like, Hey, we're going to be on this radio show that has no video whatsoever. We should both wear black. Why? It's every time that we get together in a group of like 20 people and all of us are occultists. (laughs) Like there's like one t-shirt of color and that one has like skulls on it. I don't know what it is, but I've always been really connected to black. I just really like just covering myself in black. But you you make a good point, man. I mean, at the end of the day, dress how you're going to dress. I'm not saying to that one person that's starting with the occult right now, and this is like, you know, they're listening to this podcast going like, hey, what kinds of things should I look into? I'm not saying there's a uniform that you should dress this way. I'm saying be authentic, be whoever you are, dress how you want to dress. It is really fucking weird how many of us wear yeah. black. <laughs> if
1: you went into my closet, you know, it's of course like, I wear blue same. jeans, you know, too. But I'm all everything's black. My yeah. all, you know, I have uh, black, I have gray, I have off black, I have, you know, everything that yeah. So uh, I don't know. I can't answer that question for other people, um, but I'm, when I'm thinking about ninety percent of the the occultists that I practice with, they all wear black as well.
0: I know. I noticed it a long time
1: ago. And then there's like a ten percent group of people that wear like tie-dye shirts oh super and, colorful and,
0: yeah. yeah 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 the one person in color sh- you know that person characteristically will show up to the party and like yeah. you know a really colorful scarf and stuff yep. and it's, it's all good we don't judge but it's that, weird it's like, funny that you bring that up There's yeah. something that everybody is like you know like there's a similarity what are the differences between like people and the occult like like okay you've known a lot of people that wear black t-shirts how were those people drastically different from each other <laughs> It'd be,
1: well, let's see, you got the Goths, you got the BDSM yeah. folks, they, they tend to like to wear a lot of black, from what I
0: understand, you got the, uh, you well, know, just, the black not metal Not necessarily folks. the black t-shirts, I mean, like, how were those people different from each other in their lifestyles, like, who they are as people? Like, I've I've met a lot of people who are, like, extremely interested in history, extremely interested in, like book learning like that side of it right right but then i've also met people that are much more interested in like the emotional experience that is a ritual they're much more of like what it feels like when it's currently going on and i've known people that are coming from you know this guy's a contractor this guy's a janitor this guy makes a lot of money he maybe he's doing sales maybe he's doing you know it there's a huge spectrum of different kinds of people yeah What, what would you say the most drastic two personalities that you have witnessed in your entire life in the occult that are the farthest away from each other
1: um are you talking about lifestyle yeah just in just general
0: who they are as people well you, you know
1: uh i think people might be surprised to think that uh i don't know people that uh are in corporate america oh, that, yeah, yeah. that uh you know they they dress in suits and ties all day and then when right. they get, get home they rip that shit off and they get into uh you know more comfortable setting and, and start practicing magic um and uh you know they they are very material focused, but they're very spiritual people also. And then the other example extreme would be, you know, people that um, are just you know, I'm just going to look at the material level for this answer, but sure. you know, like yeah. people that are just you know, practically homeless, you know, sure that just uh, they don't have money. Like I, I'm looking back when I was younger, and they they're those occult
0: practicers are just trying to get some kind of meaning out of life that they're not going to get at a regular church. I have been. At one point in my life, poor enough that I foraged my food. There has been a, a period in my life where I I could not afford to eat right. and had to go out and find food in the wilderness. You know, and it's a much more difficult thing to do in a city than it is to do in the woods. Yeah, um, I have also been at points in my life where I make a lot of, more than I need, and I'm you know pretty well off. So I definitely think that there's even just in my own life, not just the people that I know, but just just in me. I have undergone vast changes and um, mm-hmm. been at both ends of that spectrum for sure. I don't think income is uh, an indicator of somebody not or right. But I was trying to like what I was going out going with was just like oh no, you, I'm if, if with they you were standing sure. next yeah. to
1: each other, both of these two people practice totally. magic. They're into the occult. Yeah, you would never guess it. Either yeah, one of them exactly. Yeah, and, and I was... I'm
0: totally agreeing with you. And that, the idea of like your corporate America guy, um, I think there's this stigma. That like the people who practice the occult are weird. You might be surprised that the guy who practices the occult in your office is popular, not the weird guy Dave. Right. You know, like he might actually be, you know, the the person you are trying to stop at the water cooler because you find him interesting and fun and those kind of things. Now he might not be because he could also be that weird guy. He Dave. He could totally be a weird guy Dave. <laughs> a lot yeah, of times totally. he is. A lot of times he is. <laughs>
1: but but those are the fun ones to hang out with and practice with too. Yeah, um, I agree. So
0: yeah, so so you would say a lot of different types of careers. Um, how are you with, uh, like men and women, you know, like, are there like more men that you know that practice occult, more women that, you know, more neutral, uh, like non-binaries that, you know, like where, where does that spectrum fall? I'd say, um, it's interesting. Um,
1: over the years, I mean, if we were to look at the different like slivers or, or flavors of magic, okay. um, I've found that, you know, going back to the chaos magic, community there's a lot more women involved in that than you in would chaos? think yeah no, believe it or not shit. yeah that's interesting i always expected it to be all dudes uh-huh. whereas when you like if you go to um you know and if you were to look at the wiccans communities and things like that there's a lot more women in there too yeah i sure. noticed that very one, female sure. heavy because yep. it's very about the god heavy. it's all about the goddess and all that right. so it empowers them absolutely um in the thelemic community Maybe not so much locally because there's just not as many people, but in in the bigger cities, like I've visited, you know, with OTO bodies around the country, you know, like uh, in Chicago and and, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, L.A. I did a lot of I hung out with them a lot when I lived in L.A.
0: There was a good balance. There was a balance within the OTO community. Little, I little find male headed communities, like if it's like a small body, is very male centric. Yeah. And then I find the larger ones are very 50 50. Right. I found that no matter what the size is of a Wiccan group, it's mostly women. Right. There are definitely some men involved in it. And by no means are they like, uh, I don't know, like feminine or any way. I've known some pretty mus- masculine, buff dudes that are interested in Wicca. But like if you just uh took a toll of like you know how many or took a poll of how many people are like you know uh men or women within wicca mostly women and right. and it makes sense a lot of the ideas the myths the symbols that they're using are you know feminine centric or yeah. um borderline feminist you know where they're like promoting you know uh female equality and those kind of things so yeah. um and i think the non binary sense.
1: thing uh and you know i think that is is just starting to reveal itself you know, a yeah, lot of people, it's true. It's even hard in the, to tell you. Even in you the, know? I feel like it's just starting to break through the eggshell because it's it's like a lot of these people, even in the communities where you're supposed to do your own will and things like that. Sure, they haven't felt comfortable coming out and being uh, gay or bi, non-binary. So. Uh, I can't really answer that right now. I would yeah, say that in five one's difficult. years We should revisit it if we're still if you're still doing the show.
0: Well, I think a lot of uh, people are starting to to uh, embrace who they are. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, the occult is a tradition that encourages individuals to embrace who, who they are, no matter what. You right. know, like, and that's why individuals find themselves in the left hand path, right hand path, somewhere in between, a mix of the two, flipping flop back and forth, is because like the individuals around them are encouraging them to express their spirituality really as they will. You know, and so. Um, there's definitely not like a set of rules that says like, hey, these individuals aren't allowed to be themselves in our you know circles. Um, that being said, that's I don't you're... think we do know how many people uh, truly identify like that. And I think I would agree with you that like there are people who might be uncomfortable with the idea at this point. And that's OK. You know? Yeah.
1: And, and to all you ladies, I am straight, by the way, just it out there.
0: <laughs> but uh, all, all three of you. No, but check this The out. three women that listen to my podcast. So, yeah, t- <laughs> you but, might you might overestimate our viewership. <laughs> Come on, man. This is going to change everything yeah. tonight. <laughs> um okay, so I wanted to kind of go over just like some general um things that are occult in nature and just kind of get your perspective on them like um one of the ones that I wrote down was alchemy. So it's a word that already came up in the podcast. What the fuck does that mean? What is alchemy? Well, um the alchemical process,
1: um, in general, is the the desire to take something and make it into the uh, what's the stone called the uh, philosopher's stone. The philosopher's stone. Yeah. Their goal is, to, I mean, it, it, the goal is to create this philosopher's stone. And there is the um, the form of which you would actually go through all of the processes. Like individuals believing in like a physical physical, chemical process. Chemical process to create this actual stone. Like a physical stone. Yes. The solve et coagula or whatever. You you know, working toward like taking something really base and turning it into something incredible. Uh, Okay. But um there's also the the view that people look at it as more of a symbolic or um an esoteric kind of uh you know, a hidden knowledge where they're trying to like give you a recipe we're going back to recipe again but a recipe to to achieve this philosopher's stone but everything's symbolic
0: so like the lead is symbolic of what then you're trying to go from lead to gold that's kind of the idea right
1: like base material like from the earth you okay. know and gold would be you know your the kether or the highest potential right. like God. so
0: so like the idea um in my own words is you're taking this impure substance, right? Which is like the self on day one, you know? Right. Like, you, look, when I was first born, I was shitty. You yeah. know, as soon as I was like conscious and aware and running around, I was not like this, this perfect articulated person, not to say that I am now either, but I've definitely made some progress, right? right? Uh, and then that goal, that like end goal is this like, you know, this desire for something higher, something greater, right. a better version of myself. So I would say like, when we're talking about like symbolic alchemy as opposed to like physical, where like somebody's intending to make a physical object, I would actually argue that there's a lot more interest for myself down the symbolic alchemy yeah. of saying like, you know, it's this system of change in order to take something from lead and then slowly, progressively through these different stages until you get to this more pure, better thing. You so, know?
1: so yeah. And when I look at it for me, I mean, again, I'm no expert in alchemy. I don't actually practice alchemy. But I do use the, uh, you know, the stages at some points to gauge like where I am in my life and things like that. You can do the same with like the Kabbalah, you know, with the tree of life and stuff sure. like that. It's
0: a great example.
1: Um, I mean, to me, that is almost, an, there, that, there's a lot of different applications to the tree of life. One of which in my mind is very alchemical. I mean, because you're going to go through, you know, a, a burning away of all the all the bad you know, and keeping the good and, and sifting through well, yeah, it and separating it out. yeah, and you're like, you're
0: like growing at each one of these phases, right? And then eventually you get so much growth that you are distinguishably different than the last stage of your life, right? Exactly. And that could be, you know, the change from, you know, lead to copper or, you know, like whatever the right. thing is.
1: Um, and it kind of reminds me, I mean, I hate to make this reference, but the Temple of Set, they have this this word called kefir. I hate to make that reference. <laughs> kefir. Uh, well, I just don't know if anybody even knows what that is. Um, but Kefir <laughs> means to come into being, you okay. know, and then yeah. the concept of uh, Kefir, that's X-E-P-E-R, um, is that, you know, when you go through this stage of change, this alchemical change, you know, and it happens multiple times in life, not just at the end, like yeah. at the great realization yeah, yeah. at the end, you can't look back at the past and see it the same way. You can't go and, uh, uh you know, you can't. You know when you've reached that coming into being or, or becoming as as the Hindus would say and others, you know, when you've reached that point where and a lot of times, by the way, you know, of course it's magic intertwined and things like that, but part of the magical process is, um, as Crowley would talk about the um, um, the challenges in life or what did he call it the uh, I use the word the trials
0: or something. What is the, the official uh, word that uh, he uses? He uses? There's a couple of different times. The Trump, ordeals. The ordeals. He uses yeah, that sorry. word too. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, this yeah. beer here. It's, I need another. You're one. good, man. <laughs> um, but the
1: ordeals in life, those cause that alchemical, uh, you know, of breaking away of the of the good and the bad, because you need those also so that you can look back and go when you go through that change, you can look back and go, man, I lived through that. I'm stronger now. I have a new perspective that I didn't have before. So it might just uh, be
0: symbolic of like regular life and things that you're naturally yeah. I mean, you don't even have to practice, but magi- it could also go- be like magical where you're like, I'm going to do a ritual and it is using this one symbol a lot. And, or I'm as you go through phases. each
1: stage, sure. you know, this is going to be my focus, you yeah. know? And as you get closer to the top of the Kether or whatever, right. then it becomes more meditative or prayer focused or, you know, connect, connecting with your, your higher self or, you know your holy guardian angel and things like that. Absolutely, but you have to start at the base level where you're learning and trying, trying to do things. And you're right. It, it, this applies to life in general, man. It doesn't just apply to magic. But the the alchemical process is almost like uh, because most people bump through life and then they learn a little bit and then they go back to doing the same thing or they don't really realize that they've changed or anything. Whereas the alchemical process is a definite focused desire to get to an to a certain point and sometimes when you get there you're not the same person you are when you left but either way you you can't look back uh like like a, a butterfly doesn't see the world like a caterpillar
0: right Absolutely. once you've gone through that change or, absolutely or
1: to make the ascetian kind of mm-hmm. analogy you know when when it changes when the the scarab turns into the stag beetle or you know uh or or you know when the uh when the dung ball turns into the beetle all these multiple beetles they used to see like uh the egyptians would look at and maybe i'm going way off topic here but they, oh it's all good yeah yeah you know, they would look at like the the scarab pushing the dung ball around and then
0: they would bury it yeah and then all and of then a sudden the, all these the reason why the dung beetle was pushing it around is because they bury it. you know they they're laying their eggs in it yeah and so they bury this thing and all of a sudden all these bugs come out it of was the like earth magic. you know it was
1: like magic like wow yeah. one became many it was like right. this magical like bug that just like they they thought it was just some interesting enough that
0: he was pushing the ball and then well that- it's interesting that you brought up uh egyptian while we were talking about alchemy i know i'm all over the place no 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 it's actually <laughs> dead on point because at the word alchemy even though alchemy was you know heavily practiced in the uh european courts in like you know 14th and 15th century the word alchemy is a little bit more inclined down the egyptian route of al and kemi right, right? um i think it's True. black art if i remember correctly black to them was a color of like fertility because that's the soil that would come off of the nile and so it's really okay. a reference towards some of their ideas on systems of change and cycles of life and those kind of things and right. so um I think you're dead on when you're talking about like alchemy being this symbolic way of looking at, uh, at at things in that way. Now, you can use those symbols in magic totally, but you could also just learn the symbols, observe your life and be like, oh, hey, there is a little bit of a pattern here. And I have a little bit more meaning in my life by observing that pattern where I've been at. And I'm probably going to go through some of these changes again find myself going into new cycles and new forms of myself, you know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if you want to look at it that way, I mean, you could look at Jung and you could look at uh, uh, Ospensky and Gurdjieff and things like that. Absolutely. They didn't actually so much focus on alchemy um, specifically, but well, they Young, had a similar Young process. Jung played
0: around with a lot of religious symbology yeah. throughout his career, and alchemy was one of them. Yeah, um, He definitely wrote pretty extensively on it. The, the symbolic other not, nature of alchemy, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about magic and we're talking about like um, uh, changes happening in accordance with the will, you know, Jung, uh, Jung, we're talking about Carl Jung. Carl Gustav Jung was the uh, he was a psychologist. He was not really heavily into the occult, but the occult world really likes his work. Um, he dealt a lot with the subconscious and symbols that exist in the mind. He was the student of Sigmund Freud um, and uh, later became his rival as they started to disagree on some topics yeah. later in their careers. Young um, wrote a, a book uh, that dealt almost exclusively with the idea of um, things happening in. Uh, he, he wrote about the I Ching being this Chinese divination system where you throw down coins and yeah. you read the uh, whatever comes up, and how there can be congruences to the will. That there can be uh, things that happen that you know maybe maybe you pull off of a, a random symbol like the coins and that draws certain symbols up in the mind and so a lot of his work did definitely hinge on the occult but he kind of came at it from a different perspective you know he wasn't looking at religion and finding these you know uh, practices that he was actively practicing in the occult for him it was much more like this academic research into the symbols that exist in the mind and his belief that they were tied into religion as well
1: which which kind of transformed into art as well absolutely later yeah Um, but you know it's funny that you could you mentioned that, uh, his I Ching, you know, uh, studies. But similarly, I do the same thing with the Tarot. It's
0: a perfect example. Yeah. I,
1: I'll pull a Tarot card, not for divination. Um, I don't necessarily always believe that. I will know,
0: sometimes. I will sometimes. Yeah, I, I definitely do dabble a little bit in divination. I believe that it yeah. works. Oh,
1: I believe it works. But what but I'm saying is I also most of the time when I symbols. grab a card, it's yeah. really, hey, you know, what do I need to focus on today? Right. Or Or... And uh, it's I don't, I don't even necessarily think in those those cases that the card is trying to tell me it's that my mind is open, focused, and I'm looking for something in the card. Yeah. Maybe like, uh, you know, a lot of the cards
0: have colors or well, it's like a, it's like a, a specific theme to look out for for the day. And your mind can attach any kind of idea from the subconscious into that symbol that you, you know, you, you draw exactly. a random card. You can look through that lens throughout your day, that telescope as you go about your life. And, uh, you know, pulling a different one every day can be a little of an interesting practice. I it definitely is. think there's something to be said about divination functioning, but... Um, no, and I do divination. I do yeah. it a lot for other people that more than for myself. Same. I want the surprises.
1: Yeah, I like the surprises. <laughs> <laughs> but, I do. But, but see, that's that's, the, that's where the surprise comes in with the yeah. card I pull is I'm looking more for like a synchronicity. Right. Like, uh, you know, see if I could guess what was what it was that I was seeing in the card that, that may transpire. Yeah, And if not look you know in my diary i might make a note like oh uh i didn't see this but da da da, and then maybe a week or two later it shows up and i'm like i'm glad i wrote that down so keeping a magical diary that's another thing to consider too if you're going to
0: start playing with the occult is you know keep keep a record of what you're doing Uh, for two reasons for for the ability to look back and see how much changed and how much it worked and for the ability to disprove your own assumption that it worked. Right. So, like, keeping a record helps you to cut your own bullshit out and be like, oh, no, I totally did this ritual and this didn't work. Maybe I should try something else, or maybe this is bullshit, or maybe, you know, I need to add this other perspective. And to don't it. be afraid
1: to be uh, honest in there because yeah, be technically. Critical of yourself. I mean, unless you become a serial killer, nobody's going to read it except you. <laughs> unless you become a serial killer. <laughs> then it's going to end Please up in... don't become a serial killer. Yeah, it's going to end up on some like <laughs> FBI
0: library shelf or something. Yeah, like. exactly. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, there's also a symbolic set of change within the tarot, just like we were talking about the uh, alchemy, uh, the alchemic system having like sets and symbols and change and taking yeah. it from this one less pure thing into this more you know, perfected thing. Um, the the trumps within the uh, tarot, which is the the major cards, so they're kind of like the the super aces. They're, there's like aces, but then there's cards above them, if you were thinking about like a regular standard deck. Um, they tell a story in a way, it's called the Fool's Journey. And it, basically you start off with this first card, and if you count them in order, there's the card of the fool. And then the fool encounters the second card, which is the magician. And then the, there's this symbolic growth that ends with, you know, at the very end of it, this enlightenment stage for the individual. And throughout that, you know, there are hard times. There's cards that are negative and like, you know, difficult for the fool as he goes and on this journey of growth. And there's, you know, really happy cards where it's like, yeah, this was easy and just awesome. And it unfolded for you. Um, And it's interesting to see this like cycle of change exist there too. And the way that, you will find the fool's journey in your own life. You know, there's there's definitely something to be said about being able to just look at your own life and say, oh, I've I've undergone the fool's journey several times throughout my life and always led to this, you know, deeper understanding, this more meaningful existence. So I would say that both alchemy and the tarot are perfect examples of what I mean when I say that we're using symbols in order to engage with the divine. Right. And how it's adding meaning to my life. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's increasing the quality of my existence.
1: It's funny because uh, when I was when I look at the uh, Arcan- major arcana cards, uh, which is another name for the for the trump cards, right? For trump anybody who doesn't. So, if you notice, the fool card is the zero card, and then he yes. becomes the magician. So, um, I've always looked at it like, you know, sometimes the master looks like the fool. So, like when you start at the first card, he's standing on the edge, and there's a dog. You know, you know, nipping at his feet, pushing him over the edge. It looks like he's going to the edge. He's dancing toward the edge. For, uh, if you're looking at the w- weight deck, uh, but but what's interesting about that is when you go through these transformations that we've been talking about, you look like the fool to everyone else. Absolutely. And maybe you, and are, even
0: I, yourself, when you look
1: back, you're yeah, like, you oh, look "Wasn't back, I a fucking idiot? What back was then? I thinking?" You yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, but 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 before you go into that that pervert. Uh, proverbial change, I guess you'd say, is, uh, you know, you look like the fool to everyone else. Yeah. And then you become the magician, which is, you know. Absolutely. Right. right. Now you're in control. Now and then, you're the one doing the magic. It, it's yeah. kind of like the tipping point thing where like when you come up with an idea, then everybody disputes that it's a good idea and then it, you know, when it reaches a certain point, it tips.
0: Well, and what I love In about business, the fool's you know, journey is that it goes through stages that include the bad times, right? But those are still moments of, of growth. So like it gets to the point of the tower card and the tower is everything falling apart. Right. It's like, you know, if you're not considering blowing your head off, you're probably not at the tower card right now. Yeah. Like it's a dark time. It's this shadow work of like, so where is my self worth obliterated? You know, everything is <laughs> my house. Everything is falling fell apart. apart. I'm broke. You know, it's just everything terrible happening all at once and you just can't get past it like that's right. what it feels like but guess what on the other side of that is some more positive stuff and when you get to the very end of that cycle you're at this whole other level of the way you look at the world you know and then yeah. you start as the fool again you yeah. know it it's like it's a never ending cycle and, and yeah, yeah the tower
1: card to me is that ordeal we were talking about like uh you know there's small ordeals but there's always right. something that if you live through it you know you're going to be a totally changed person absolutely um and and it, Speaking of the tarot, there's also the, you know, the one through the ten card. You know, that starts yeah. at a really base level, and then um, it, it reaches a uh, climax on those as well. There's a there's a cycle in that as well. Um, you know, Crowley talked about like, uh, you know, the for example, the cup cards. Mm-hmm. They uh, you know, if you get all the way if 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 representative of the tenth card. You know, I think the eight is indolence, and then it keeps getting. You know, you've got too much of a good thing at one point. You know, like your emotions are overwhelmed. You know, at ten, you know, people think, oh, it's the ten card; it's the best card. Really, it's not. You've got too much of a good thing. You know, like too much of a one. You want to like, if you were to use the cards as like a, a meditative thing, focus on like the five. Get get away from the one, or you know, start at the one and work your way up to five. And use it as a dial. If you start getting up into the 10, that means you're doing too many drugs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. Or you're just, like, not doing that, that movie script you want to work on. Well, it's like too much that. of anything, no matter yeah. how
0: good it is, can consume you. So, you yeah, know? I've always looked yeah.
1: at the – when I was younger, I used to look at the uh, – you know, look forward to, like, when I would do divination for myself, like, oh, man, I hope I get, like, the like a 10 of cups because I thought that was really good until I got the Crowley deck, the Thoth deck, Thoth deck whatever you want to call it uh, – and i started reading his uh, book of Thoth,
0: and it was right. like okay dude this which is a book that just kind of coincides with his version of the deck so right. it just, it just breaks it down breaks yeah. down each card individually and some of those kind of things the symbols that he intended to have painted but he on had there. he
1: made a really good point that you know too much too much of anything
0: well, think about how many people on Wall Street, you know, that are like these successful businessmen commit suicide. Like too much money is not the end answer to all of your. Well, yeah, because they spent desires. their whole life
1: chasing dollars. Exactly, and then they got them, and then it doesn't they're... matter
0: how. Po- I'm not saying you know give up all your money on the street corner. You know, like they're having some money is good for you, right? It allows you to do your will, but having too much of it, it does not make you happier. And a lot right. of people kill themselves in that situation. So, I, I think no matter how positive something is, you can have too much of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay, so we talked about tarot. You mentioned the tree of life a couple times, and you also used the word Kabbalah. There are going to be people who knew that you were talking about the same thing in both those situations and people who didn't. So what the fuck is that? (laughs) What is the Kabbalah? Uh, The Kabbalah
1: is... Man, there's so many ways to look at it.
0: Uh... Well, just uh, on the very surface level, I would say it's a Jewish uh, Jewish mysticism system of organizing some kind of information. Right And the occult often tries to organize everything into it. it right. kind of becomes like a filing cabinet of all the different ideas.
1: And it, it finds its way in, in, in many occult practices. Um, there is, uh, you know, it, it is a system of symbols and letters based on, you know, Hebrew letters and numbers. Really complicated Uh there's a really good book by uh, Duquette called Chicken Kabbalah, I think it is. It's, if you want to look into that, I'm not getting any money to, to mention that, but he's, he. it's a pretty good book
0: uh, to check out, especially if you're just wanting to dive in. But, yep, Duquette's work is pretty fantastic. He does a really good job at um, taking the complex and breaking it down for the layman. Absolutely. So if you're somebody that's been around for 20 years, you can still probably find something of value there. But if you're somebody on day one, you won't be overwhelmed, and I think that's one of the things that Crowley really failed at. Is yeah. like everything that he wrote was written at the college level, and so if you're on day one, you will find yourself overwhelmed from time to time. Not that I say you know avoid his work. By all right. means, dig into it; it's fantastic. But but know, Crowley was ready for, at... for his peers. He
1: was ready for his peers because everybody yeah. that he that right. he that he considered you know worthy of his time were folks that were in the golden dawn. Right. You know that already had all that knowledge, and he was just. Speaking at that level, right? You know, uh,
0: okay, so I want to wrap Kabbalah up and then I want okay, to dive so into Golden Dawn. So, the Kabbalah is what? It's a set of symbols, there's a shape to it. So, you got the tree. Uh, if you've ever seen it, that you can see it in uh, I'll, I'll put it even in a Masonic lodge. S- so I'm not giving away it on the website. So, every episode has a page on the website. The website is uh, whitewoodpodcast.com. If you go to the episode notes, I'll show a picture of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. So, okay, that makes it easy.
1: So, yeah, there's these, these, these pillars on there's one on the left one on the right one is black one is white um it represents you know light and dark and it doesn't necessarily mean good and evil what it really stands for is more like you know seen and unseen knowledge and light um you know aggression
0: of impassivity you know there's there's definitely uh
1: there's a balance in life and the tree of life, as you travel through it, you have to like w- make your way through, you know, these symbolic, uh, you know, into the dark, back over to the light. It, it's it's traveling between. So it starts both. off.
0: You've got like ten circles, right? They call them the spheres, right? right. So there's these like ten different. Uh, in in Jewish mysticism, they were different aspects of God. Right. Um, we use them in the occult as a little bit more generalized. Now there are definitely occultists that are theists, and there are occultists who are not theists, um, but. They, they tend to be a little, the spheres are a little bit more generalized in the occult circle. And then there's some lines in between those. Right. And on one side, you have this pillar that goes straight up and down throughout a lot of spheres. Uh, that's the pillar of severity. And on the other side, you have the pillar of mercy. And a lot of the ideas and symbols that are on the one side are tied into this concept of strength and intellectuality and, you know, division of, of things. And on the other side, you have this, uh, the opposite. You have this like mercy system, this. Right. Um, what you would probably consider, like, Christ-like systems, you know? Right. Yeah. And,
1: and the goal would be, you know, to someone that was practicing Kabbalah would be to be that middle, middle pillar that moves right. up the middle. The balance, yeah. And in order to do that, though, you really have to, like, step on onto each, each side of the path uh, to perfect yourself toward God. or yeah. Or to, to understand you know, your
0: interpretation of God. And because it's Jewish mysticism, a lot of it is tied into um, some of the symbols that exist in their scripture. So you'll often find this um, this, this set of symbols encoded into their scriptures um, because a lot of Jewish scripture was passed down into the other Abrahamic texts. Yeah, There are Kabbalistic symbols in Jude- uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, um, as well as a lot of the occult traditions so it, it tends to become a very interesting field of topic because you will find it symbolically wrapped into a lot of different religions um, but at the end of the day it's a way to organize information yeah. that we often use to um, write you could do a whole show do, on Kabbalah we yeah, will but... there's no way we I, I cannot imagine not diving into that large of a topic it's so influential it talks you know It it, uh, it influences too many other works for us to not do an entire episode or several you know all right so kabbalah that was one um but we also talked about the golden dawn and i wanted to talk at least in part about secret societies the golden dawn covens you know like there's group work and you know the oto the aa have both come up in this uh, conversation yeah. golden dawn's a perfect example of a historic one that you know, neither of us were members of it at any no. point, but we're probably heavily, uh, I know myself is heavily influenced by their work. Um, Absolutely. What's your, what's your view on secret societies in general, initiatory systems that exist so, out there?
1: So uh, the word esoteric, which I brought up a few times, you know, it's, it's you know, hidden knowledge, I yeah. believe. I don't, I don't have a dictionary in front of me, but I believe it has to do with, you know, um, hidden knowledge within a group setting or, or, you know, that only a few know about and i think that i think that um i don't believe that you know secret societies or you know um fraternities or whatever you want to call it, it i don't think it's for everybody okay uh, but i've had a lot of enjoyment working with within certain bodies um i think there's definitely uh Something great about that. When you look at like the uh, the Golden Dawn again, I've never been a member of the Golden Dawn, and I, I'm not even
0: sure. That well, they, they were gone by the time that we came around. Well, there's so another the, one. The out Golden Dawn there right was founded now. in 1888 and was dissolved by 1903. Right. And so. They're... We, we didn't have the opportunity to, but...
1: Well, I mean, there literally is another guy that... There's a guy that's claiming to be, you know... the Well, yeah, the so the Golden Dawn, Golden Dawn fractured
0: Dawn. into four major mystery schools. Yeah. And one of them is the AA, right? So, right. Alice Crowley, member of the Golden Dawn, heavily influenced Thelema, and heavily influenced my life, as well as yours, right? Um, so... But who? we we get some of their stuff you know but now there is this revitalization after many of those children have passed you know those children orders have passed on their secrets and mm-hmm. passed on and, and fractured as well and now there are um individuals who have tried to revitalize the golden dawn from the ground up where they may or may not have been formally initiated i'm not sure you know um yeah, the modern Golden Dawn, the hermetic order of the Golden Dawn is what they're currently called, right. is not the same organization as like the, the, the original Golden Dawn in the 1888.
1: Yeah, so, yes, to all that. Um, with that said, I mean, you know, there is a, a new version, like you were saying. Um, and, and actually, who who is the secret chiefs looking after out of those groups? <laughs> right. Um, but I, but to answer your question about you Well, know, I think secret- the
0: current head of their order is the Cicero family, right? Am it's I wrong? right? I don't know. I'm not I really sure. I could be completely wrong, completely off base. That is something way deep in the back of my mind, and I don't have it in front of let's me. Let's go with the Rosicrucians
1: too. They, they, yeah. they think they have a some secret chiefs. Also, okay. But, so
0: Rosicrucians. That's a perfect example. So let's just list list off a couple, so we have an idea of like what secret societies. Well, I wouldn't
1: there. call Freemasonry a uh, secret society. They're definitely you know they I don't get,
0: I, I well we, they don't publish their membership. They don't. Yeah, they don't. That's they, what makes it a secret society. I mean, no, there's an initiatory system and they don't publish their membership. They might not be occult in nature. They might not be actively practicing the occult. That's okay. I would consider them to be a secret society.
1: No, there is what if you were to ask a, a Freemason, they would okay. say we are a society with secrets, not a secret society. Oh, That's okay. what they would call it. Sure. Because of course, you know, they want to protect their membership, but you know, most of the work uh, and, and you know, outside of the degrees and you know, we have secret handshakes we as in yeah i'm a mason uh but since i've already let the cat out of the bag but uh there's handshakes there is there is handshakes there's uh secret words there's actual rituals that we do and it's you know it is uh you know there's value in keeping it protected absolutely. with the group absolutely so to answer your question about secret societies i think they're you know i think secret society is a is a is, a, is uh Overly, you know, uh, it freaks people out when they think of the it's word. It's a
0: term that like holds some connotation. Yeah, it's usually whereas, a negative connotation. Whereas like, uh, the o- like the Illuminati, I would look at the
1: OTO like as more of like a uh, secret society because okay. we don't we don't share the work, we don't share the members, we don't everything's secret, we keep everything sure. contained.
0: Um, uh, I would say that. Okay, so I have been formally initiated into the OTO. I'm a member. Um, I the way it was explained to me from the OTO perspective is that an organization that has some form of initiatory ritual that they are practicing and passing down from generation to generation that they're not talking about. Generally that is done because they're trying to add sacredness to a thing. They're trying to, it's not done because it's immoral or because they're like trying to get away with something. It's done because they're trying to hold something. It's similar to how like the the Mormons have their, uh, their rituals that they don't talk about openly. Mm -hmm. It's just sacred to them, you know? Similar concept for us. Um, and because our membership and the rites and rituals are not openly published to some point, um, they would consider that to be a secret society. So yeah, from the OTO's perspective... The Masons would qualify. From the Masons' perspective, they would not. Yeah, the Masons would tell on you your they're definition, not. <laughs> you know? But it also the word "secret society" comes with this like connotation, which is like, why, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's that it's like why bad guys trying to take stuff over. And really, it's much more of like um, people coming together to have conversations about things that they consider to be sacred.
1: Yeah, and and um, look, it's not for everybody to join a group and to do a lot of memorizing stuff, and and uh, you know. Partake in degrees that you have to wait a certain period of time to take, or you have to earn, you know, earn your way to the next degree through through your works and practices, or time. Sometimes it's based on calendar time, um, you know. Throughout these different organizations, there, you know, some some people benefit hugely from that because there is a um, there is a degree of, um, you know, social. There's a social aspect to it where you get to be around people that share the same you know beliefs and focus and interests and you know? interests a lot of your hobbies you'll find are like yeah. overlapping with these people. Uh, but yeah. some people are you know they're they're solo. They they just do the best work solo. Well, would you say so, that if
0: you're interested in the occult, you have to join some formal organization like the OTO no. or anything? I would agree with you. I would I, say you don't have to by any means. No, but, but I do think if you no. if
1: you are open to I mean to to learning, I would recommend. Uh, that that there is a uh, something
0: to be yeah, gained. Yeah, they exist, and you know, like, those and you'll people...
1: know you'll know if you fit in or not, like right oh, away. Oh, totally. It's like you know, it's not like these movies where, and, and maybe there are some secret groups out there that that are uh, very dangerous.
0: Well, like uh, there are cults out there that are predatory. You yeah. know, like we have to recognize that those groups do exist somewhere out there. You know, um, I haven't run into one yet myself, but I'm, no, but they're, I'm out sure they're
1: out there. They're they're out there definitely, and. Um, in certain parts of Oregon, I, uh, I've seen some some pretty scary groups out sure. there. That when they get you in, you can't leave. That's a little different. That's yeah, more like and a I don't think
0: that's definitely that's definitely not the experience that I've had. But specific to the to the
1: ones that are in our sphere that we're talking about, right, right. none of those are really hugely dangerous. There might be predators in any group or, or dangerous people that uh,
0: like an individual might be bad. Yeah, and, and eventually and they yeah. become
1: known and they get they get
0: catapulted out of the group so Uh, what's the point then like okay so we've said community being around people that are interested in the same kind of things you're interested in i think those are two major points i think we haven't touched on one that we can only have a surface level conversation about which is initiation right like um i've taken oaths to protect the specifics of initiation i intend to uphold those um but that being said like what's the point like why bring somebody in in order to do some formalized thing that everybody else has also gone through. What's the point?
1: Because everyone has uh, at the seed of their essence of being, they want to, and again, I'm not saying it's everybody, but the ones that find their, themselves in these places, yeah. in these groups, they there is a, a, a desire to connect with the divine or to learn something new about themselves that perhaps that they wouldn't necessarily get in church or... Or uh, you know, at work, or in a bowling club, or something
0: like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the, there's and the a divine two... doesn't have to be like God. It can be no some kind of higher concept. It doesn't have yeah, to. Yeah, like be... if we're going to go Thelemic, you know, yeah. your holy guardian angel, right? Right, or or you know, your own true will. Yeah, absolutely.
1: When you want to uh, yeah. understand your own uh, purpose in uh, your own will as you as you evolve.
0: So, so how does an initiation ceremony feed into their ability to uh, to have that experience that they're looking for, those individuals that choose to initiate?
1: That's kind of hard to answer without going down, you know, explaining what might be a sure. ritual. Yeah, yeah. But just think of it as like, and, and, and again, it's not hazing. It's definitely not hazing. But and think I had of a it like, think a question
0: before about it. I got into any of these things. Yeah. Like, am I about to be hazed? Right. It is not. No. No.
1: It's more, um, it's what's. To, to me, what I get out of it is, and I, so it's easier for me to answer from my subjective perspective, is okay. I enjoy doing something that hundreds of years ago they were doing the same script. And, you know, maybe my like on the Masonic side, my great-grandfather... There's a tradition to th- it. You know, they yeah. did the exact same ritual that I as possibly uh, a past master did for some new candidate that comes in. And you see like... You see that spark in their eyes that they're, you know, that that they walk away with one new nugget of something. And I know it sounds silly uh, if, if you've never been involved in a fraternity or something like that. But, you know, as you repeat the ritual of initiation over and over again, not only does the student learn something, but the, the one that's performing the initiation does yeah. as well. Right. There is a powerful something powerful and a bonding moment. From the mentor to the uh, apprentice or the new Absolutely. student, yeah, um, and it's always you always learn something new every time you do it. Or yeah, I think it's a it.
0: powerful, transformative experience. And it's I've hard to explain. Involved. Yeah, it's really hard for me to explain. Like, well, especially because we're trying, we're specifically trying to have a conversation about something without having a conversation about it. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah. So I know that there's some of that aspect right. where like we're we're purposefully choosing to avoid certain topics. But I would say that there's value in it right? The actual process of initiation. There's something of value that we keep secret, not because it's bad, but because we want to hold something sacred as sacred kind of protect the, you know, guard the temple kind of thing. Um, But also being a member of a group being formally uh, brought into a group formally. There's like a, there's a ceremony that, you know, you go through that we're like, Hey, you're part of the group now Um, kind of helps to form the bond of brotherhood and sisterhood and, uh, with the, with those individuals and then you soon find that the reason that they got involved in that in the first place was because they were interested in some of the same kinds of things that you're interested exactly. in. Exactly.
1: And then you lose once you go through that, that transition of initiation,
0: then you feel like your walls
1: are you can strip those walls away. Yeah. You can be the true your true self a little a little more than right. maybe you were when you started and and you grow you can grow a lot from that. But you can also go through like an in- initiatory journey on your own. You absolutely. Know. There's absolutely something to be said for that, it's, for self-initiation. Like I, said, I know for a fact you know, I've seen people that joined the fraternities and stayed longer than they should have and they sure. they should, they, they, they harm themselves mentally. It's not for everybody and I'm not saying harm themselves mentally uh, to the extreme where they were, you know, hurt, harmed themselves long, forever but just that, you know, you'll know if you, if you, uh, you know most of these groups you have to approach them. They're not for the first red flag is if they're trying to recruit you
0: specifically. Yeah, I've almost always found that the ones that are non-toxic are the ones that are like, I'm not even going to tell you how you join. Like if you show up and you go, hey, how do I become a member? Oh, that was step one is for you to show right. up and ask me directly. But if they're like, you're at a bar and some weird creepy guy comes up and he's like, "Hey, do you want to join yeah. the Illuminati Order of Awesome UFOists?" <laughs> like, probably not a good sign, right?
1: <laughs> but there's a lot of shit you could do, uh, you know, yourself. I mean, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, you could literally
0: get, you know, but hot. you miss out on the community. That's yes. the one thing is you will miss out on the experience of growth that you can get from being in a room with someone who's interested in the same things as you, but has been doing it for 50 years longer than you, because that guy could vary or girl, you know. Could very well suggest uh, something that really helped him at that stage. Yeah, that hell yeah. Right. I mean, you know, either like a daily practice or a book. Oh yeah. You know, um, hey, I you know uh, this book doesn't come up a lot in a Google search, but I know you were interested in this topic. Why don't you go? Ch- you know, if you want to, you could check out this thing. Because you and I, I could really go through. Think. We
1: could like on the fly if somebody had a specific interest. We could. Uh, yeah, we I could, could name fifty. Name a few yeah, books. That totally.
0: They could look at it. so absolutely, um, and the reason why I can name fifty is because someone did that for me. There was it's definitely not that like you know I was immediately better at this. It's that I've spent a couple of years in this circle, and someone who spent more time than me helped me out. And that's something that you get from a community yeah. is like communal growth, where I'm interested in your growth simply because we're bonded by this fraternal bond.
1: Yeah, and and the best groups I I belong to. Uh, are the ones that it's about quality over quantity. Yeah, we're not just trying to like uh, recruit, 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 knock on doors, you know, get people to join and stuff like that. You know, if our numbers drop, that's fine. As long as the strong, as long as the people that are dedicated to to the great work uh, are part of it, then then uh, you know it, it stays it stays afloat.
0: I so, guess. all right. So we've talked about the positive. We've also made a very important statement, which is you can do this without, and you can find positivity, you do not have to be a member of a group. What is a good warning sign or a couple of warning signs that something that you're involved in that's group work might not be something that's beneficial for you? I would number one say that you can feel it. If you start to feel like somebody is bossing you around or making you feel like you don't have a lot of self-worth or they're trying to uh, control how you go about your spirituality. I would say that that's a pretty good warning sign for me.
1: Yeah. And I would say, you know, when you go through an initiation, for example, because a lot of them, you, they push you through the first initiation. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, a healthy example, I'll go back to what's negative, what, what would be a red flag, but would be something that by the end of the ritual, you're feeling like, you know, that you have, uh, New questions or, or, or some thoughts that you had answered from yourself. There's nothing actually pushing you toward this is how you should feel. This is how you should be. You know? Yeah, they're not, and the red they're flags, not directing
0: it. They're just offering an opportunity for you to kind of discover some of those ideas for yourself. Correct. That's and positive. I, and, yeah.
1: I, and when I lived in LA, there was a lot more cults and groups and, and you know, yeah, some that I thought were freaking weird as fuck. But, you know, the, generally the ones that gave me the red flags was, the ones that said that they had the true answer. Yeah. That they knew, you know, what you needed to do to deconstruct your life and, you know, be a better person. Nobody can give you those answers.
0: You can only discover them for yourselves. So when you have somebody But they're in you. Like I, like I, I, I want to make clear for a lot of people that it's not that we're like trying to just hang you out to dry. And it's like, you can only discover yourself because you're not going to no, know that you can discover them for yourself. They are in you. We like just kind of give them. you the tools. Absolutely. We, we put the circumstance in front of you. Right. Hopefully. You and, and
1: we kind of like direct your attention to something that you could focus on to better yourself in a certain way. Absolutely. Whereas other places are like, you know, you need to do this, you need to do ABCD. You should be ashamed of yourself. Anytime they tell you to feel guilty for who you are or what you're doing in your own life, trying to break you away from i – I've seen groups where they try to break up your relationships and things like that. Those are red flags.
0: Those are definite red flags because that's not the kind of experience that I'm seeing in the positive groups. No, but you
1: were talking about red flags. No, absolutely. No, that's
0: what I'm saying is I'm I'm agreeing with you 100% because uh, I find that the people around me are building me up. Yeah. They are not trying to strip me down and humiliate me and gain, you know, tricks against me. They're trying to encourage my own growth, however I define that. So you know?
1: a couple other red flags. One, they, you know, like in the organizations I've been part of, it's like, hey, I've, I've learned all I can learn here, for example. I, I want to go be safe, you know, be on your way. Yeah, I want or you to do well the in The red life. flag yeah. groups are the ones that say you're you, not allowed to you leave. You can't leave. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's these cults like I was saying in Oregon, there's a couple that I knew of where, you know, this this uh young lady that I knew uh they wouldn't let her leave.
0: They're they are cut her off all her communications. help groups that exist. I will pin some of them to the show. Yeah, not about finding yourself in a situation where you're having trouble leaving, there are resources available to you to get out. And uh, hopefully, you you can get in contact with them, and you know that's yeah. definitely a thing. That's a very real you know danger. Is that you yeah. know some some people do find themselves in situations that are not like what we're so, describing. So uh, so not everything with initiation is good. Yeah. But you know uh, the, my experiences with initiation. But you need you need to be positive.
1: Cor- I would say if you're going to practice a cult, and this maybe wraps it up. I don't know how long we've been talking, but yeah,
0: if you want to, you know it up, if, you if,
1: if 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 uh, if you're talking about like practicing of the occult, you have to be courageous. Even if you're going to be doing stuff on your own, um, you have to be willing to, you know, push yourself
0: to explore new things that you haven't done before. And find your own limits. Right. Several of the greats will suggest that you, you know, do things that are going to kind of challenge where you think your limits are. You might find that you are a lot more powerful of an individual than you think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if you buy a book... You know, one thing I see from a lot of occultists, they collect them, but they don't use them or they don't experiment with them. them. I'm all but read them and try and try some (laughs) of the exercises, you know, you know, totally. I mean, there's a lot of armchair magicians that that know everything and they they can tell you what, you know, every single sentence in a book that they love, but probably haven't uh, done the work. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's another thing, you know, I say we we close it out,
0: but we address that that thing that you just said just before we do it. okay? Okay, so so you talked about practicing right what does that look like what is it what is a a practice that an individual might find themselves doing on a regular basis uh whether that's ritual whether that's i don't know contemplation meditation prayer what what does that look like in in contrast to the armchair magician that's just academically trying to memorize as many things as possible so that he's okay. an interesting person in the room what does it look like when an individual's practicing
1: Okay, so again, I'm no expert. I'm just again, I'm just saying what I, from my point of view, from your perspective, what what I what I feel like is, uh, you know, if you went out and bought a book on a specific type of practice, let's say uh, Goetia, which probably is. Way over a lot of folks' heads here. I was, yeah, <laughs> not a good starting spot. Okay, yeah, so yeah. let's let's say you get a book on it's, on you know uh, it's a good book though on you do know the it. ritual practices of of Wicca. Okay, they're okay. gonna have a, they're gonna have um, in there. They're going to have certain you know daily routine things like that. Libra rest thing we were talking about before, where there might be some adorations. Right, there might be uh, like a couple chapters that describe
0: why to do the adorations, what it's all about. You know, Or like maybe banishings, maybe a regular, and you know, maybe not common. just banishings when there's something that you feel threatened by, but maybe just banishings on a regular basis in order to, you know, kind of attune yourself with that. So I would say those are, yeah, absolutely. Just do,
1: most of these books, even Crowley, you know, who's very complicated and, and hard to, to understand, you know, in the early stages, but there's lots of different, you know, from beginner to expert there is usually exercises in the the books to practice. Yeah. So if, if it's resonating with you, with what you're reading about, and you really get, you want to really explore it, dive in. Give yourself, you know, you, there's a couple reasons. One, um, it, it it will make you feel like, you know, I've actually... Done the work instead of just read about it. I don't know how to explain it outside of that. It's to me, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, do the work and see if it makes sense. Don't
0: just do ritual. Don't just do whatever the practice is. Let's say it's meditation. Let's say it's ritual. Let's say it's you know banishings. Let's say it's you know it doesn't matter what the fuck it is, right? Don't just do it when you want something. Do it regularly. Right. So if if you're just starting out and you're struggling to build a habit and maybe every single day is hard for you, that's okay. When I first started out once a week was a lot for me. It was very frequent. You know, um, there are times in my life where I find it's much easier for myself to do a regular ritual and maybe I'm doing it twice a day. You know, there are times where I might go through a slump and I might do it, you know, once a week, Then maybe uh, but just regularly doing something helps you to build a relationship with that set of symbols, that mm-hmm. um, set of energy. And I think that uh, regularly doing it, whatever it is, whether that's just an adoration of the sun, whether that's, I'm just going to, maybe I have a Wiccan altar and I'm just going to light the candles every single day and just, you know, have some kind of a connection that I try to get to the divine, whatever the practice is it do, do it often. Yeah. You know, and don't be surprised if that, builds on itself if when you start off you might just barely have any effects and after a year's worth of doing it every day you're like this is overwhelmingly potent and and
1: but at the same time you know don't be afraid to say this isn't for me because there's a lot of occult books that occult books that i got where i made it about halfway through and you know i just couldn't you know okay here's an example um christopher hyatt i i love his work i love i love to read his work
0: is he the one that did uh psychopath yourself.
1: he did yeah uh undoing yourself undoing yourself and, and and uh, psychopath yeah. bible yeah, I, I made it like halfway yeah. through psychopath bible i said okay
0: i, I de-energizing <laughs> yourself i thought was fantastic however they're very extreme um yeah undoing yourself i didn't i didn't do them yeah but from but what i mean from is a standpoint of like understanding I but that probably really
1: works for some people yeah. you know? totally uh, absolutely that's just, what works
0: for me might not work for you so so find what works for you
1: don't but don't, also
0: don't be afraid to reject the bullshit because like just yeah. like any, you know, anything in the world, especially these kind of things, there's going to be somebody writing a book just so they can sell books. Yeah, don't be afraid to just be like, oh man, this I could name like three shit. or four of them. And it, yeah. I don't want to call anyone out. Yeah, I'm not going to either. But me and you just thought of the same three. Yeah, people. I think we're both thinking of <laughs> it. Yeah,
1: at least one.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. So. Well, uh, I really appreciate your time, Freder Mavis. Uh, do you want to plug yourself so that people can find you if you ever Well, have? yeah. I
1: mean, uh, I, I'm not doing too much now. I, I. I uh, I, put I mean, out a couple. published some stuff. So I published some, like. chaos, some books called Chaosphere Magazine um, quite a while ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to find me, I, I don't necessarily post a lot of my uh, magic practices online because I like to keep it in a diary, but I am reachable uh, on Twitter at, you know, I think it's at Freighter Mabus, if you look me up, M-A-B-U-S. And um, we'll
0: link all of that in the show notes. So if you go to whitewoodpodcast.com and go to the specific episode, we'll show some pictures of some of the stuff that we talked about today and any links to any stuff that we want to link
1: to. Yeah, so. and I'd be interested, you know, to hear what you think of this because I've, I've done a couple podcasts like 20 years ago, maybe one ten 10 years ago. I'd be interested to just give some feedback. Yeah, so <laughs> what, if you want you to uh,
0: reach out to Freighter Mabus, you can reach out to me directly at nate at whitewoodpodcast.com and i will uh pass the message along and if there's uh interest i know i had a really good time today I, I did too hope that you did so if you want to come back on for some other later topic maybe we dive into like some of the deeper weeds and some topic that we is not so surface level like we just want to right. define the occult i'd today, like to go know? deeper on, on any of these Hell things yeah. that'd be great but absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely i'd love to come back and uh and shoot the shit with you <laughs>
0: awesome cool Thanks for listening to the Whitewood Podcast. This show is made possible by our Patreon members. You can find us on Twitter at Whitewood Show and on Facebook at Whitewood Podcast. For links to all our social media and information about our Patreon, visit us at whitewoodpodcast.com.